Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. In Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to read the first couple of verses here, uh, but I note that uh, as we get rolling here, number one, uh, there is family that we are born with, some of which you would choose gladly, some of which you're like, what has happened to me? My older brother, uh, a few weeks ago, went with my, I don't even remember who all was there, my mom, uh, 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 I think my aunt, maybe my crazy uncle, uh, my stepdad, I'm not sure who else was involved, went up to somewhere like the Panhandle of Oklahoma. That's its own problem. Don't woo. No, you cannot woo the Panhandle of Oklahoma. No, 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 no. There's no wooing. To, To a family reunion. And you know what I thought? You can have all the inheritance. You got it. Go for it. That's fantastic. That means I don't have to go. That's great. Um, There's family that you're born with, and then there's family that you choose. Uh, People that you uh, step into life with. uh, People that uh, uh, you choose to make family, even though they're not kin or blood um, related. And this is part of it. Here's what's true about both of those scenarios. The family that you're born in and the family that you choose. They end up shaping, or if you will, making you as much as you would ever choose their shape or make them. And for some of us, uh, we grew up around church, kind of, if you will, born into it. Um, You didn't necessarily choose it, but it has shaped you. For some of us, we have definitely chosen it because we came to faith later in life. And and you're, you're choosing even faith and family right now. And it is shaping you as much as you are shaping it. Either way, church is family. So in this third thread of DNA that we're talking about here, um, as it works its way out, we'll just talk about how it's working its way out among us uniquely here at Heritage Park. First, chapter 5, verse 1, Ephesians 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators. Uh, that's something like mimics. Um, imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice uh, to God. So I want to lock in, as we've been doing um, throughout here, I just want to lock in on the two big words there, church is family. Let's talk about church, and we're talking about family. Uh, first of all, church. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. You have a new identity. You see it in verse 1. Therefore, the imitators of God as what? What does it say? As beloved children. Like you and I are beloved children of God. We are the beloved sons and the beloved daughters of God Almighty. And before you, um, before your feet hit the floor this morning, uh, before you uh, rolled over and uh, kind of got your mind straight after the alarm woke you up and messed you up, um, before you uh, had a cup of coffee and actually felt human, before you brushed your teeth and smelled like a human, like before any of that stuff happened. You are the beloved child of God. If you have put your trust in Jesus and you have come uh, to, to faith in Him and He has forgiven your sin and He has taken up residence in you by the Holy Spirit, He has brought you into His family, He has made you part of His kingdom, and I want you to know you are the beloved child of God. Beloved may not be a word that you use a lot, but the reality is a powerful reality. You are deeply, deeply loved by God Almighty. And where you step this week, you will be loved. 
And where you tend to avoid this week, you will still be loved. And, and when you wake up ready to go, you are loved. And when you like, I'm not even waking up, you are loved. And what the Bible says about this particular kind of love, the love that God has for us, the love that makes us His beloved children, Paul says this in Romans chapter 8, that there is nothing, 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 nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. He says it this way, it's not height, it's not depth, it's not the stuff right now, and it's not the stuff in the future. It's not the spiritual stuff that we don't understand and the physical stuff that we can see and at least come to understand a little bit. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. So, teachers, you're stepping into an environment which may be difficult and heavy, but nothing can separate you from the love of God. Students, you're walking into a classroom, into a set of classrooms, into a set of new relationships, into new activities, whatever it may be, and those things don't have to define you. You are the beloved children of God. Nothing can separate you from His love. And no person can stand between you and His love. There is not a person who is alive today, who was alive yesterday. There is not a person who will come, who will stand between you and the love that God has for you. Nobody can. Nothing can separate you, and nobody can stand between you. And lastly, no circumstance can determine His love for you. If you're on the highest of heights, things are just cranking for you, man. Everything is always up and to the right for you. Fantastic. I'm so glad. That is not a good measure or determinant of God's love for you. And if you're in the lowest of lows, in the valley of the shadow of death, is your current residence. That's where you're checking your mail. No circumstance that you find yourself in is a good determinant of His love for you. He loves you and you are His beloved child. This, this is our new identity. It's what it means uh, to be church. We have, as a, uh, as a result of that new identity, we are a part of this new story. We have a new story. The gospel makes us both a new person and makes us a part of a new people. Verse 2, walk in love as Christ loved us. Here's the gospel. He gave himself up for us, fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus came. He lived perfectly. He died sacrificially and rose victoriously so that you and I could have right relationship with God and be made right with him. In doing so, what he has done is met. This is just genius how God did it. He met our deepest need and Address our deepest felt need all at the same time. He met our deepest need to be right with God. That is what is true of any single person uh, that is in the room right now, who's watching online, that you're going to encounter this week. Their deepest need is to be made right with God. They were made for Him, by Him, yes, but also made for Him. And so their deepest need is to be in right relationship with their Creator. <clears throat> Excuse me. But the gospel doesn't just make a new uh, person, it, it makes a new people. Our deepest felt need is to belong. It's to be a part of something. It's to be connected. It's to have a sense of, oh, okay, I, 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 I have some people here. There, there's something that's true about that. In that same, in one single move through the gospel, he met our deepest need and our deepest felt need. And you think to yourself, well, I mean, a felt need is not a real need. Listen, it's got, this is how God wired you. It really is. You are created for these kinds of relationships. You were created to belong somewhere. You were created to be a part of something. In the new story, the gospel makes us a new person and uh, brings us into a new people. And lastly, um, under this church part, this is part of what it means to be church. We have a new pattern. 
Therefore, be imitators, mimics of God as beloved children. If, if we are the beloved children, then God is our Father. And so, we, we, this new pattern is for you and I to become like our Father. Now, I, listen, the, the, the noises, little squawks in the room and that kind of thing, they never bother me. I got four kids. Like, I mean, like, none of that stuff ever bothers me, ever. I, um, last in the 830 service, there were a couple of new ones. It's correct. I, I love it. One of the things that's true is that, you know, th- those kids grow up a little bit and they become more and more challenging. Yes? One of the unique places where they get challenging is um, uh, when they start eating baby food. You're like, all right. Let's, let's do this. And they're like, spinach and carrots is not my jam, yo. No, 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 no. I ain't having that. Nope, nope, nope. You try, you bribe, you cajole, you plead, all this kind of stuff. You do the airplane thing. Come in here. You know, you do the thing. Here comes a train. And nothing, right? There comes a point where they just get into full toddler mode. And, like, and there is nothing against moms here. So let me just say, I have nothing against moms. You moms, y'all are incredible. Like, awesome. Somehow, though, God, I think, is like gifted dads, and I think I know why. I'll tell you in just a second. Gifted dads. And if you see a dad feeding a kid baby food, this is what is true. They're coming in, and if the airplane thing doesn't work, if the train thing doesn't work, if there's not a whatever, whatever that they're doing, they just get to the point where they're like, and they open their mouth real big. Is that true? Dads in the room, are you with me? And I think our mouths are bigger, moms. That's why I think we do this better, because our head is just like that. And they, they go in like, oh, and the kid, you know, opens up. Uh, there's a biological thing called mirror neurons where the kid is learning to interact with other humans by watching. Like God wired us this way. And so we go, oh, and they open up and then you like shove it in there real fast. You're like, take that, spinach and carrots. They're watching what their dad does. And doing likewise. And we watch what our father does. And do likewise. Therefore, be imitators. Mimics. Mirrors. Of God. As beloved children. I'll just note here, this is not an option. Like this is in the uh, imperative Meaning like, this is something we have to go do. This isn't an option for us. You have to become like, this is the plan. This is the agenda. This is, this is the thing as we move forward. It is a command. It is not optional. We are not only a part of something, a place where we belong, but we are part of something. Like there's purpose for us. Not just a sense of belonging, but a sense of purpose where we get to be into something. We get to join others as we journey towards transformation, as we do the things that God has set out for us to do. We imitate our Father. And if you're here, you're new to church, you're watching online, like, I don't know, maybe I'll check it out, whatever it may be. Listen, here's what I want you to know. If you want to know what church is about, it's about transformation. It is about the renovation of our very lives. Stripping it down to the bones. Pulling, this is not just putting paint on a wall and going, I'm sure it'll be fine. I mean, this is a full renovation. Tearing stuff out, moving stuff around, putting up beams, supporting this, 
moving that, making sure that this is in the right place, so that you and I literally become imitators of God. The way that He thinks, we begin to think. The way that He feels, we begin to feel. The way that He speaks, we begin to speak. The way that He acts, we begin to act. The way that He does what He does, we begin to do those things. This is what church is about. We have a new pattern to become like our Father. A new identity. Excuse me, a new story in a new pattern. That's church. What about family? Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. If we are His kids, God is our Father, then then that says some things about church. Um, One of the things, just note here, if we're family, the church is not um, a, a peddler or purveyor of religious goods and services. It is not a spectator sport. It is a participant kind of thing. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. Um, Because we are family, we participate with one another. We don't just watch other people do the thing. Nobody likes that guy. Nobody likes being that guy. We participate. But because we are family, um, we, we just recognize that we are imperfect. And trending towards unity. Not uniformity. You don't have to look like one another, dress like one another, talk like one another, vote like one another, think like... I mean, there's there's a unity that God brings when we are family. And, and because we are church, we care for the helpless and the hurting. We see them and we genuinely help them. Not just one or the other. We see them and we genuinely help them. If church is family then what would that look like? Here we go. First of all, it would be marked by love. Look at verse 2, and walk in love. This is not feelings that we have for one another. It is just the kind of faithful um, commitment that we have one another. It is not only friendliness. it It is a more robust something than that. It is family. It is family. And it says to walk in love. What does that mean? Well, again, if it ever rains again, and you go outside in your favorite pair of tennis shoes. And you step into that rain. And then you come back into the house. The person you live with might or might not be frustrated if you don't wipe your feet. But if you don't wipe your feet, you know what you will become. As you step into the house and you're walking through the, the uh, um, tile there in your kitchen or whatever. You leave behind a, a walking advertisement for Nike or whatever your brand is. You've been in the water, soaked it up, if you will, and you go walking in there, and then you look behind, and you're like, swish, 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 all behind. So when he says, walk in love, that's the picture. Teachers, you're stepping into classrooms, and you get to step into the classroom with that kind of love, and may you leave it there. Students, you're going into classrooms. And you get to step into those environments where you can leave that kind of fragrant aroma of the love of Jesus there. We're going to go to grocery stores this week and ball fields this week and other places this week where we have the opportunity to walk in love. We are marked by love. Some of you are like, man, I don't don't know about all that. We sacrifice for each other. Because we love God. Because of Him and what He has done for us. There are a couple of things that I just note. I just want to say these things out loud. Um, 
In our culture, fear sells. And fear fundraises. And fear does a lot. But here's what I want to say about relation, the relationship between fear and church. Number one, um, fear is a powerful menace to those who may be hurt or have been hurt. If you've got stuff in your background because of anything related to church in particular and church's family in particular, you're like, yeah, I'm not so sure about this. I'd rather go sit in the back of this monster place and just listen or watch online or whatever it may be. Fear is a menace to those who are hurting. It tends to keep us at a distance and not trusting. And what I want to say to you is that we are committed to love you, although we will love you imperfectly until you are whole. As a church family, That is what we are committed to, to love you, even if imperfectly, until you are whole. And secondly, we will honor your agency as that happens. We are not looking to manipulate anybody. That's the second one. Fear is a menace to those who are hurting, and it is a powerful motive to those who want to control stuff. And it sounds like, well, if if you don't do this, then this will happen. Well, I mean, that may be true or it may not. But if I'm using that to control you, your actions, your attitude, your response, that's manipulation. Listen, Jesus is not in the business of manipulation. He is in the business of transformation. That's where we are. Okay? Fear is a menace to those who are hurting. and It is a powerful motive to those who want control. And all I would say to you about this is that the love that God has for his beloved children, according to 1 John chapter 4, casts out fear. There is no fear in love, 1 John says, Because perfect love casts out fear. You do not have to live in fear. You don't have to. It's true in the church. It's true in our society. God is our Father. He is King of the universe. We're going to be okay. It's why, last thing on this. It seems like we've hit this a lot. Maybe this year. But when the scripture says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind, like, those are the kind of people we want to be marked by power and love and a sound mind. We don't have to surrender um, to, to the menace or to people's manipulation. We don't have to. Okay, second, we need each other. Uh, the family means that we are marked by love, and the family means, means that we need each other. Um, when it says, be imitators of God as beloved children, walk in love. These are things that we do and we do together. We need each other. There is quite a bit of data that has come out in the past probably five or so years um, related to loneliness. Loneliness um, and its health effects on people. I'll just give you a couple here and then we'll take a quick poll. Um, it, it is related to higher levels of chronic pain. Loneliness. The emotional um, uh, sense of I do not have a place to belong ups chronic pain responses. Uh, it is associated with a 29% risk uh, of coronary disease, coronary heart disease, and a 32% risk of stroke, increased recent risk of stroke. You are a third more likely, if you are lonely, a third more likely than the rest of the population uh, to have a stroke. It is associated with acute stress responses, increased risk of high blood pressure, reduced immunity against infections, and it has the same uh, detrimental health effects as smoking how many, let's just take a poll here, smoking how many cigarettes a day? How many? You lonely? What is the health effect equivalent in cigarettes? How many? Ten? 
19? 34? Is that what I heard? That's a lot of cigarettes. Like two and a half packs. How do you know that? Don't ask. Anybody else? 40? 15. You're not quite to a full pack a day if you're lonely. Same detrimental effects as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. There's a reason why we talk about church's family so much. There's a reason why we set out a card on every single chair with a chance for you to respond to say this. Like, there are opportunities for you to do more than just sit in a row and look at the back of somebody else's head and a guy with a microphone. There is an opportunity for you to get connected into a circle where you can look one another in the eyes. We've got... Um, uh, groups that meet on Sunday morning um, in Sunday school. We've got uh, Bible study groups that meet during the week. We've got small groups that meet during the week. We have places for you to connect with one another. We do not want you to be lonely. As a pastor, I will tell you, one of the more frustrating things in life is when some of you, one of you, any of you, go through something and we don't know about it because you're not telling anybody. Don't make me come after you like that. Listen, when you go through stuff, part of church being family is we get to come alongside of you, stick our shoulder underneath whatever burden you are carrying, and help you with it. We need each other. And I'm taking a shot here, and so I just want you to know, duck if you need to. The data shows that the people most likely to experience loneliness are not introverts, all you engineers. You need people, you have people sometimes, but it's not you. The data shows that the most likely, the, the age range that is most likely to experience loneliness is 35-year-old men. Right in the prime. Right in the prime of what you can offer the world. So I'm telling you, man, church is family and we need each other. Just real quick, um, we need each other for two things. Back up in, in chapter, into chapter 4, look at verse 15. We need each other for two things. First of all, we need each other uh, to become what he desires us to become. Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way um, who is the head into Christ. So we don't grow up without one another. We don't grow up without people speaking the truth into our lives and us being a part of speaking the truth into other people's lives. We need each other to become who um, he desires us to be. Well, I, I kind of got this on my own. No, you don't. You really don't. You will not become who God wants you to be apart from being connected, relationally tied in to other believers so that they can speak the truth and love to you and you to them so that you will all grow up into um, everything that you're supposed to be, into Christ. But we need one another not only to become what he desires, but also to do, to actually do the stuff that he desires. Verse 16. From whom, that's from Jesus, the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when, don't, don't miss this part, when each part is working properly. Don't miss that. 
When each part is working properly, makes the body grow as it builds itself up in love. What do you mean by that? Well, the body is supposed to grow and build itself up, and that means that everybody gets to do their part. Church is not a spectator sport. It is very much participative. We get, we need one another to do what He desires. We get to, op- we get the opportunity to love one another in these situations and in these circumstances in order to do the things that He wants us to do. We will not be the church that God wants us to be in its fullest expression if you're sitting on the sidelines. If you're disconnected. If you're pulling back. It just won't happen. We need each other. Lastly, we are responsible toward one another. If family, if this is family, then we are responsible toward one another. I, I distinctly, I intentionally use the word toward instead of for Because some people take this in one of two ways. There's two kind of poles here. One is, I take responsibility for someone else's stupidity. Don't do that. It's their stupidity. They can be dumb all on their own. Yes? The shame that I feel because I know them may be real. The consequences of their dumb decisions, those ripples may wash up on my shore. All of that's true. But I'm not responsible for their own stupidity. In, in the one pole. The other pole is this kind of pervasive individualism that like Cain looks at God like, am I my brother's keeper? I don't know where that guy is. You go take care of him. He's not helping me at all. Therefore, I'm not bothering him. That kind of pervasive individualism leads to a serious, serious sense of disconnection and a rise, huge rise in selfishness. You want to know what that looks like? Look at social media. That's where that is. We are responsible toward one another. We we ask questions like, what do I owe the kingdom in this particular situation? Here I am, I'm facing this. What do I owe the kingdom? We make statements like, I will do my part. I'm not going to do your part, but I will do my part for both of our sakes. So what would that look like? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's like Paul knew that we would ask such a question. Look at chapter 4, verse 25. And as we read this, just listen for all the parts that are communal. All the parts that are relational. All the parts that are about family. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. We're truth tellers because we belong to one another. Be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Anger gets expressed relationally. And so Paul says, don't be that guy. Don't be that gal. Verse 27, uh, 8, sorry. Let the thief no longer steal. Rather, uh, let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The thief gets transformed. Um, uh, Stealing becomes generosity. Not for generosity's sake, but so that he will have the opportunity, she will have the opportunity to be a blessing to someone else. That's family. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths or off of your keyboard. But only such as is good uh, for building up as fits the occasion. That it may give grace 
to those who hear. Did you catch that? Like, don't let the talk get involved here in such a way that it tears people down. Instead, I, through my words, through the things that I say, I can be a conduit of God's grace in a moment. Teachers, you're going into um, uh, algebra classes, and you're going into history classes, and you're going into other places where you will get to teach and be a part of it. And the way, not necessarily what you say, although that may be part of it, but the way that you get to interact may be uh, put you in line to be the distributor of God's grace to people. Students, you will step into classrooms, sit next to a, a person, be at a lunch table with someone, and the things that you choose to do, setting your phone down, turning it over, sticking it in your back, the way that you get to interact may be the thing that God uses to distribute grace to someone who may be in need. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That's y'all. Y'all were sealed for the day of redemption. Uh, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, let it all be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. We are responsible toward one another. I will do my part. For both of our sakes. If I owe the kingdom something in this moment. I'm going to step forward and give it. Um, at, at the end. Uh, I think of the uh, uh, Bible app there. There's a particular passage in Romans chapter 1. I'll just note it here quickly. Romans chapter 1. Paul writes to the Romans. And here's what he says. For I long to see you. That I may impart to you some spiritual gifts. To strengthen you. I'm coming to Rome folks. And I want to bring something to the table for you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, by yours and both yours and mine. I'm coming to Rome and I want to bring something to the table. And I really want to be encouraged by you. I'm bringing a gift, a spiritual gift to bear on the church in Rome. And I want to be encouraged by your faith. And so if Paul, I mean this is Paul, um, uh, meets the living Jesus on the road to Damascus. Plants churches all over the known world at the time. He has done all this incredible stuff. And he says, I'm coming to see you. And man, I want to encourage you and I'm going to need some encouragement. If that's true of Paul, guess who else is true of? Us. All of us. What unites us is not an hour on Sunday. And what unites us is not a commitment to an organization. What unites us is the blood of Jesus. We have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. And he has brought us into his family. We do not want you to sit in a row and look at the back of someone's head and call this church. Church is this network of relationships. Church is family, not just in so take that card. If you're not connected to a small group already, take that card. Fill it out. You can leave it right in your seat. And if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, I want to invite you to that moment. Because before the gospel brings a people together, it makes you new. So I want to encourage you, encourage you to put your trust in Jesus today. Let me pray for us. We'll have just a moment to respond. Father, um, as we... Take a second here and let this kind of settle down on us. Um, I pray that uh, any place where the enemy would kind of drum up fear for any number of reasons, uh, that you would quell that. I pray, uh, Father, that uh, we would have a commitment to one another as a family, as a church family, because of our commitment to you. 
And Lord, I pray that you would draw people to yourself, closer to yourself, as a result of our time here. Please continue to work. Do the things that you do the things that are important to be done now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.